Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, good morning, everybody. We welcome you to Grace Crossing Church this morning, and we welcome you to week number two uh, of our series that we're in right now entitled Seasons. A number of years ago, a medical experts um, identified a condition that had never been kind of identified or labeled before. They simply called the condition SAD, S-A-D. How many of you know, have ever heard of SAD? Seasonal Affective Disorder. A seasonal affective disorder, they believe, is triggered primarily by the changing of the seasons. And an estimated 5% of people who live in the United States have been diagnosed with SAD. Another 10 to 20% of citizens in the United States have mild forms or mild symptoms of SAD depending on the season that they're in. The reality is it is a disorder uh, that actually affects a large number of people in our world. And I've often said if, if I could live 10 months of the year here in Ohio and get rid of January, February, it'd be the perfect world, right? There's a reason that northerners who are retired migrate south for the winter. Many of them struggle with that sad. Well, because we are all unique, I think we all uniquely experience the different seasons that we go through in life. Not all of us will respond to the seasons of life the same. But the truth is, every one of us, in some ways, have sad. Every one of us have a seasonal affective disorder in the sense that depending on our upbringing, depending on our personality, depending on our spiritual maturity, we will move in and out of the various seasons of life in different ways and to varying degrees. And so in this series, what we're looking at are some of the more prominent seasons that we go through in life, seasons that I have experienced in my life, that I have learned some really valuable life lessons because of those seasons. Last weekend, as we launched the series, we talked about seasons of transition. And let me just hit the high points for us for those who weren't with us last weekend. Just like the seasons physically in our world, All of us go through seasons of change, planned and unplanned. Life changes. And when life changes, we change. And in those seasons of life, those planned and unplanned, there are all sorts of transitions we go through, both emotionally, spiritually, and physically. You graduate. You move. You change a major or change a career. You start a new job, you end an old one. You begin a relationship, you sever a relationship. You get pregnant, you have a miscarriage of your pregnancy. You you, you lose a pet that is beloved, or you lose someone in your life who means a great deal to you. When we are thrown into those kind of transitions, they bring us to another place because here's what transitions do. They often take us from the familiar to the unfamiliar. They take us to a place often that we've never been before. And in those moments, life seems to be out of control. Everything is spinning on its head. 
We seem to not be able to make sense at times about why the what is taking place. And what I've learned is this. Unfamiliarity breeds uncertainty, and uncertainty always breeds anxiety. Let me say that again. Unfamiliarity brings uncertainty, and uncertainty always produces anxiety. And if we're not careful, we can start living our life worrying about tomorrow instead of living for today. In his book, Stop Worrying and Start Living, Dale Carnegie tells the story of William Osler. Some of you may not be familiar with that name. Osler was a renowned physician. At the latter part of the 19th century and into the 20th century, he, along with three other physicians, actually stood up John Hopkins School of Medicine, which today is John Hopkins University. He was a professor of medicine at Oxford University. He was even knighted by the king of England for his research and his great work. And Osler attributed most of his success in life to one principle that he said made him the person that he was. He called it living his life in day-tight compartments. I think that's really profound. Because I think in life what we tend to do is we tend not to live our lives in day-tight compartments. We do what Osler said. He said often what we do is we live in the dead yesterdays or the unborn tomorrows. And what he suggested was this, that the weight of yesterday combined with the anticipated weight of tomorrow, when lived today, will make even the strongest person falter. And I think that's significant. I think what we need to learn to do in those seasons of uncertainty, those seasons of transition and unfamiliarity, is we need to learn to look for God in the midst of them. Because Osler's words are actually just a rephrasing of what Jesus taught us. Jesus said this in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 34 and 30, 33 and 34. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything that you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Now the reality is seasons of uncertainty and seasons of transition are really hard. But the really good news is this, they do not last forever. No season in life lasts forever. That's actually what Solomon teaches in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, that life is a seasonal activity. There is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens. So I think seasons of transition are really an opportunity for God to get our attention and for God to take us to a new place spiritually and emotionally. Make no mistake about it. God is strategically at work positioning us in the right place and at the right time. God is always doing something behind the scenes, even when we can't see God, in those moments and those seasons uh, of transition. One of the devotionals that Kelly and I like to read 
and we typically do it together as a couple, is we read a devotional called Jesus Calling. Um, And Jesus Calling in this past week on the June 27th entry had a really appropriate uh, statement that I think in reading that has to do everything with this idea of seasons of transition. Here's what it said, rest with me for a while. You have journeyed up a steep, rugged path in recent days. The way ahead is shrouded in uncertainty. Look neither behind you nor before you. Instead, focus your attention on me, your constant companion. Trust that I will equip you fully for whatever awaits you on your journey. I design time to be a protection for you. I like this. You couldn't bear to see all of your life at once. Though I am unlimited by time, it is in the present moment that I meet you. Refresh yourself in my company, breathing deep drafts of my presence. The highest level of trust is to enjoy me moment by moment. I am with you, watching over you wherever you go. That's really good news for we that find ourselves in a season of transition. And this morning, I want to talk about another season that I've gone through in my life that I think actually goes hand in hand with seasons of transition. I'll simply call this seasons of discontentment. Have you ever been in one of those seasons? Of all of the seasons that I journey in and out of in my life, This is the season where I often find myself more often than the others. And I suspect, and just have a hunch, that I'm not alone. That there are others here in this auditorium that have found yourself in seasons of discontentment and or perhaps even today you're finding yourself living through a season of discontentment. Life has not been what you expected. Life has not produced what you thought it was. Things just did not turn out the way that in your mind you anticipated that they would turn out. And so seasons of discontentment, I think, are pretty common for us as human beings. I think we go through them from time to time. And let me begin by saying this. Not all discontentment is bad. There is a lot of good that comes from discontentedness. When people become dissatisfied with life as it is, often it will produce positive change. So this week we are celebrating our birth as a nation. We're celebrating our independence from the British Empire. And on July the 4th, 1776, there was a declaration signed that severed and separated our relationship from Britain and we became a sovereign nation. Thirteen colonies, uh, representatives joined together in the Continental Congress, and the vote actually was taken not on July the 4th, but on this day, July the 2nd. This was the day that actually marked the vote that got us to where we are, and arguably the most important date on our calendar as, as citizens of this country is Independence Day. It's an important one. It's not the same for every person, though. For African Americans, this, that was not their Independence Day. It was actually only 100 years ago 
that they received their independence when the Emancipation Proclamation was signed. And there was actually liberty that came to a whole other race and a whole other group of people that didn't enjoy what we as European Americans were enjoying for years. It was discontentedness. It was dissatisfaction that moved the president of our country, that moved our Congress to, to declare emancipation, freedom, for those who had been held in slavery. And it is a day worth celebrating as American citizens. Now, though discontentment is not a sin, hear this, it can lead us to sin. And it often does. Often in life it is discontentment that moves us down a track that can be very, very dangerous for us. And I think this morning, because I've lived throughout my life in and out of a season of discontentedness, I think that I have learned that there are several primary causes. And these are not all the causes, but for me, they have become the most identifiable. And I want to share them with you this morning. I think the first cause of discontentedness that I've realized is spiritual neglect. If I were to honestly confess to you today, and I'm about to do it, in my life, most of my dissatisfaction can be directly linked back to my dissatisfaction of my spiritual life. I was not at a good place. I was not thinking the way that God wanted me to think. I was not taking the time that I needed to rest in Him, to find His way forward. And, and, and in my life, what I have learned is that when I am discontented with things in life, I am often discontented with my relationship with God. When I become discontent with other relationships, I can often solid line it back to me not being in a very good place in my spiritual life. You say, as a pastor, or do you go through times in your life where your spiritual life is not where it ought to be? Absolutely. I have to work just as hard as everyone else does to make sure that I seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, that I put him first above everything else in my life. So please hear what I'm about to say today. When we neglect our spiritual life, it will almost always affect our level of contentment. We will almost always become discontent about something in our life. So, so I think it'd be wise to ask yourself this question this morning. How satisfied am I with my spiritual life? Am I at a good place? Am I at the place God would want me to be? The second primary source of discontentment that I've identified is this, unrealized expectations. Unrealized expectations. Sometimes life doesn't deliver on its promises. Neither do people. And whenever we go through a time of feeling like what we thought was coming to us didn't come to us, when we thought what was promised to us does not materialize, it often leaves us frustrated and feeling as though we're walking into a season of discontentment. A number of years ago, my wife went through a extended season, several years, of struggling with contentedness. 
And this past week, she received her contract from her school district, renewing her contract. She's in a continuing contract teaching English as a second language. But prior to her getting that particular position, she interviewed at three different places and thought she was a shoe-in for every one of them. And she came in second three times in a row. And she went through a time in her life where she was wondering and searching and asking God, do I not have enough faith? Is there something about my life that isn't where it should be? And it threw her into a tremendous season of discontentedness. And I think it was that journey of coming and finding contentment in God that actually opened a door for where she is today. And every time she gets her new contract, we are grateful for all that the Lord has done to take her through that season. I would ask yourself this morning, are there expectations that have not been realized in my life? Perhaps it's a promise that a parent made to you and didn't keep. Perhaps it's a promise a spouse made and didn't keep. Maybe it's a position or a platform or an opportunity that you thought you deserved and you didn't get. The more we focus on unmet and unrealized expectations, I think the more we'll find ourselves moving into seasons of discontentment. Which brings us to a third one. Misplaced ambitions can often lead us into seasons of discontentment. Here's the reality. We are the most prosperous nation in the world, but have you noticed we have the most discontented people? Why is that? It's because all the accumulations and all the accolades and all the accomplishments will not bring us a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction. The truth of the matter is, we can have everything that this world can offer us, and yet we can still find ourselves discontent. Proverbs said it this way, that the eyes of a man are never satisfied. The Bible in James actually calls this selfish ambition. Now, not all ambition is selfish or sinful ambition. But James identifies in James chapter 3 some that is. And here's what he says. If you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. What does that look like? Well, boasting is simply taking credit for what doesn't belong to us. It's saying, look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. Look how much I've been able to produce. And lying is actually saying, oh, I'm not really ambitious. That's not really what lies in my heart. I'm not really jealous of others. Ever been there? For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, ooh, and demonic. Ouch. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every other kind of evil. I have found in my own life that when things are out of order inside my heart, it often can be directly linked to selfish ambition. 
And so what should our ambition be? Well, Paul actually tells us in 2 Corinthians, when he says this, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, we make it our ambition to please him. And so I think in life we have a choice. We can either live to please ourselves or we can live to please God. Not all ambition is wrong. Not all ambition is sinful. It's not all selfish. But if our ambition, if our big ambition in life is to please God, that is an ambition that is holy and worthy of praise. God celebrates. And let me say this. I have learned that when my ambition is in the right place, that I'm trying to please God, I'll often do things that bring pleasure into my own life. There's one final, I think, symptom and cause of dissatisfaction and of discontentment. And it's this. The grass is greener on the other side mentality. What is that mindset of the grass is greener on the other side? It's a mentality that says, this is what I deserve, and this is what I am entitled to. And we can often live our lives by having a grass is greener on the other side mentality. That if I had their position, if I had that job, if I had that promotion, I I would be content. We often look at other relationships, especially when we're not contented with our own, and say, boy, if, if my marriage could look like that marriage, if my family was ideal like that family, everything would be good in my heart. I'd be happy. And what we often do is we often ask ourselves that what if question, right? What would my life look like if? What would my life look like if I had married somebody different? If I had gotten that job, if I had their position, if I had chosen a different career, if, if, if. The what-ifs of life can lead us to seasons of discontentment. And so what can we do? How can we respond? Because this is such a common season that we walk through as human beings, I think we need to bring God's word to bear on how we respond to these particular seasons. We need to look to some wisdom that comes from Scripture. And I think there are three things that all of us can do when we find ourselves walking through a season of discontentment. The first thing is this. I think you can change your vantage point you can change your vantage point i'm a big fan of gary larson's the far side how many of you remember the far side you know gary larson just had a way of seeing life that actually helped us find humor in it that there are things that we do things that we we think about ways that we live and he just had a way of turning things around in subtle ways, to give us a completely different perspective on those things. I've got three far sides I want to share with you this morning. I think you'll enjoy them. Here's the first one. Bummer of a birthmark, Hal. That would be, wouldn't it? 
I, I like this one, this next one. Okay, Frank, that's enough. I'm sure the Jeffersons are quite amazed at your car headlight device. <laughs> I grew up in Pennsylvania with a floodlight looking for deer. I appreciated that one. And then I like this one. Enough said. In the scientific world, this is called a paradigm shift. Thomas Kuhn, who actually coined that phrase, called it a change in our basic assumptions. So listen to what I'm about to say. I think that when we are in a season of discontentment, we should seek to change our perspective rather than changing our circumstances. What we often do in our tendency in seasons of dissatisfaction is we think if we can change that, it will change our feelings. And what I've learned is that my feelings must change first. My attitude must change first. And then we'll see about the circumstances. In fact, it's dangerous to make a knee-jerk reaction or change your circumstances until you've been able to change your perspective. Now, for me, this is as simple as changing my scenery, literally. I have learned that if I can unplug, like I did this past week, and I can get away for a 48-hour period of time or however long that my schedule will afford, for a time where I can get into a different environment, it has a way of changing everything about what's going on in my heart. I have a very simple equation for this. It's, it's actually, I think, pretty profound. It's good as gold in my life. And here it is. Change of place plus change of pace equals change of perspective. I have found that when I change my place and I change my pace, somehow it gives me a new perspective on life. And what I have learned is that if I can change my mental outlook, it changes my physical outlook and vice versa. There is something powerful about changing your point of view, your vantage point. The second thing I think that we must do when we find ourselves in seasons of discontentment, listen, we must choose contentment despite our current circumstances. We must choose contentment despite our current circumstances. How many of you in this auditorium today like a good secret. Can I see your hands? Nobody likes a secret. Okay, I'm going to give you one anyway, all right? Because I like a good secret. And this secret actually comes to us from Paul the Apostle when he writes his letter to the Christians that were scattered throughout Philippi. Here's, here's the verse, and most of us are familiar with it. Philippians 4.13. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Isn't that a great verse? Isn't that a tremendous promise? But that's not the secret. This verse is often used of people who want to accomplish some feat they don't feel capable of. A business leader who actually wants to start a new initiative and says, I can do this through Christ. Even a church that wants to take a leap of faith in some area says, we can do this. We can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But that's not the secret. Paul gives us the secret in context. 
Here's the secret. Let's read it, beginning at verse 11. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What is the secret sauce for contentment? The secret sauce are living through circumstances that are not ideal and leaning into God's strength to maintain the right attitude in the midst of them. That is the secret sauce that Paul gives us. Here's what Paul is saying. I've learned a secret. And the secret that I've learned is this. Despite whether I have enough food today or tomorrow, despite whether I have a place to lay my head or I don't, I can be satisfied and I can be content through the power that Christ gives me to do it. You see, circumstances may influence your attitude, but they cannot determine your contentment. Contentment is not tethered to the circumstances of our life. Happiness may be, but contentment is not. Contentment is a choice that we make. It is a decision and an act of our will where we bring God into it. Paul tells us this in Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. The author of Hebrews chapter 13, I, I like this. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. I think contentment is all about choosing an attitude that leans into the strength and the promise that God said. I'll never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. There's one final thing that I would encourage you to do if you find yourself in a season of discontentment today. And if you don't find yourself in that season, listen, you can take this to the bank. You will, at some point in life, walk through a season of discontentment. You'll become discontent with relationships. You'll become discontent with your job. You'll become discontented with some situation in your life. And when that happens, here's the third thing that you can do. Give your voice to gratitude. Give your voice to gratitude. I have learned there is a direct correlation to my discontentment and my ungratefulness. That when I am not thankful, that it affects and impacts my level of contentment. So there's a tremendous story, as we wrap up this morning, that's found in Luke's gospel. It's a story of ten lepers who get healed by Jesus. Here it is, Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 16. While he was on his way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galatia or Galilee. 
And he entered a village. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. The reason that gets added in the Gospel of Luke is because Samaritans were not not even believed to be true worshipers of God. The fact that this was the guy who actually of all the lepers would have come back who didn't necessarily honor God in their life, according to the Jews, he's the guy that comes back to give thanks. And listen to Jesus' response. Luke 17, verses 17 through 19. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, this guy had already been physically healed. So, so it begs the question, what's Jesus talking about here? What was the healing this guy was going to experience that the others didn't experience? I think there was going to be healing that took place in his heart, in his emotions. He was going to have a transformation unlike the others. They were physically transformed. This guy is spiritually transformed. He's changed. His life will never again be the same. And why did it come? It came because of gratitude. It came because of thankfulness. Every one of those lepers are in a season of discontentment, I promise you. But this guy moves through it. And how does he move through it? He does it through maintaining and giving gratitude a voice. Colossians tells us this. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. Let the peace that Christ gives control your thinking because you are all called together in one body to have peace. Always. 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 Be thankful. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.